Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the FLA. Today's very special guest is FLA family member Shannon Easton, the first female on-field official in NFL history. She was brought in during the 2012 season when the NFL locked out officials prior to the season and worked four preseason games with one as an alternate. She also worked three regular season games and was scheduled to work a fourth game in Arizona the league brought back the locked out officials prior to that game. Currently, she's the director of officials for the Canyon Athletic Association. She also has her memoirs coming out in September. I have to say I've had a chance to read her book and it's fantastic. You'll definitely want to pick up a copy and a link to purchase the book is in the notes section of this podcast episode. Now let's get to the interview. Let's welcome FLA family member Shannon Easton to the official FLA podcast. How are you doing today, Shannon? I'm great, Ken. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, well, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. So it's been a long time coming, but your book is almost out. How does it feel? Wow. It uh, feels great. It's been a lot of hard work, but um, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, of the launch coming of the book is uh, super exciting. I can't wait. Thank you so much for asking about that. Uh, no worries. I definitely, uh, I know you've been working hard on this book and uh, it's been a lot to try to get it published. And so uh, I want to make sure that I can support you in any way that I can. So tell us about the book and why you wanted to write it. Along the way, along my journey, I was asked a lot of questions. And a lot of questions at the time were probably uh, questions that I really couldn't answer based on still trying to get into the NFL or back to the NFL, there were certain things that it was best to just not share at that point. Mm-hmm. Now that I am really my, I have no tie anymore to the NFL. It seemed like a great time and opportunity just to get the whole story out there with all the questions that I have been asked. It's the best way to get a full picture of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good story, not not because it's my story. It's just a good story. It's hopefully it will encourage, um, you know, it tells a lot of things, a lot of hard things for me to share uh, personally about what I went through and, you know, failures on my part as well. But hopefully it will encourage um, people that are in similar situations and that they will see that the hard work and the perseverance is worth the trials and tribulations to go through. 
Now, I have to say, this is a great book. I've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, to read it ahead of time. And I definitely encourage everyone to go out and buy a copy. Are you going to be doing any book signings? I am. Um, I have a few scheduled um, already, and there's more that will be scheduled in different areas of the country. Right now, the ones that I know for sure that are happening are locally uh, where I live. But I have a great team of people that are reaching out to other areas of the country as well. So... Yes, uh, hopefully I'll be somewhere in your area and um, encourage as many people as possible to come on out. And I'd appreciate as much support as possible. I definitely encourage people to come out and meet you and, and get a copy of that book. Well, thank you. Now, let's start going into some of the details. Um, you've been competitive you know, since a very young age, starting with martial arts. Tell me a little bit about the, the martial arts that you were doing and the competitions you competed in. Yes. Well, early on, I just really, as a kid, loved to compete. And the earliest competitions that I, I um, were a part of were mostly in the uh, sport of judo and swimming. I early on really wanted to play football and my mother said no. So we kind of compromised and martial arts was our compromise. So from the moment I stepped on the mat, I loved the sport. I love to compete. Um, I just always had that drive and that energy to not just, I hate to say it because so many people, I do encourage them just, you know, play and compete for fun. But for me, I, I just always wanted to be the best and do everything I could to be the best and to compete at every level I could. So it's definitely, everybody has their level of what they can do in sports and um, but for me, I just always had that drive of feeling like I could be the best if I worked hard. So it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of hard work. And um, my parents were great and supportive. And I was very blessed to have parents that did everything they could to help me meet my goals and my dreams, even at a young age. You had mentioned that you wanted to play football. When did your love of football begin? It began very early in life. That was probably the biggest way my dad and I connected. My dad was very, uh, a very quiet man, but he loved the game of football. He played in high school and he loved to watch the New England Patriots play. And so that was kind of my way to connect with him. And so just sitting on the couch, I can even remember at probably as early as five or six years old, um, sitting with him and watching the Patriots and just wanting to know what he was talking about while I was sitting with him and, you know, how kids can be asking questions. And so, um, but he was always great. And that was, that was really a great way for us to connect. So I think that's, that's really where my love of football began was probably right there sitting on the couch with my dad. Mm, that's a great memory. Yeah. When did you catch the officiating bug? Caught that bug much later in life. Um, one summer over 20 years ago, I was coaching basketball camps for Christian athlete ministries. And the coaches that were at that camp had to officiate games in between coaching their own teams. And so um, as much as I love the coaching aspect, the officiating, when I put that whistle around my neck and I had to blow the whistle 
I was like, a, this light bulb went off. I was like, wow, this is, this is really fun. This is cool. I could do this. How do, how do I do this? And from that moment forward, um, after that summer, I checked out the local officiating um, association and figured out how to get started. And it just was something I never even considered till that moment. And it was, it was great. That's where I fell in love with officiating was actually through coaching, ironically. Mm. Now, you'd been officiating college games for many years before you got the call for the NFL. Did you ever think that you'd get a shot at the pros? I would like to think that the hard work that I was putting into it, that yes, um, I would get that opportunity. But you just never know. At that point, you know, no female had gotten an opportunity. So and the, the barrier hadn't yet been broken. I, I felt I was ready. I felt like I could definitely officiate at that level. Um, I had been scouted for actually several years prior to getting into the NFL. I had a scout that was looking at me a lot and sent lots of positive reports in on the fact that I could work at this level and just hadn't happened and um, hadn't happened for any woman yet. So I felt the time was coming, but you just never know. Um, and all I could do was control what I can control and work hard and, and hope for the best. Now, the NFL locked out the officials in 2012. What were your thoughts when you heard that? When I got an email from uh, another NFL scout that, that knew me um, asking if I would be interested in working, I was really excited it's not the way that ultimately I would have loved to have gotten my shot, um, but it felt like the timing was right for me. So I was really excited. I was at the point where if something didn't happen soon, I was just about ready to hang it up, feeling as, that I had gone as far as I could go. So I felt like that was the perfect time for me to get in and just prove that I belonged and that I could work at that level. And, um, so again, it's not for everybody, but for me, I felt the timing was pretty perfect. Now you finally get the call that you're going to take the field in an NFL preseason game in 2012. So what type of emotions were running through you when you say this is finally going to happen? Whew, it was a lot of emotion for sure. Um, it was a lot of a lot of stuff prior to the game that you don't even really think about with the media attention, um, trying to learn a new set of rules at a very accelerated pace. Um, so even even though there was a lot of excitement on my part, there was a lot of um, well, definitely pressure, but more pressure I put on myself because I wanted to prove that. I belonged and that this wasn't a mistake for me. It wasn't a mistake for women that although I'm one of the least perfect people I know that I was the perfect person I believed at that point to represent female officials and hope, hope to break the barrier for others to come. So super exciting. Um, couldn't wait to step on the field because everything prior to it was a lot. But once I stepped on the field, it was, I've said this probably so many times to so many people, but I could finally breathe. I could finally take a breath and 
enjoy the moment. And um, I finally felt like I was at home. So it was great. Um, little could compare to it for sure. It was an awesome experience. Now you worked through the preseason that progressed into you being on the field during the regular season. Did you see it as making history or were you just focused on the fact that now you're achieving your dream of being a regular season NFL official? Yeah, I don't know if I was really focused on the history of it. Um, I I do know that I did feel, like I said, that pressure of just really wanting to make sure that I was completely prepared and represented female officials in the best way to set things in motion going forward and to make sure that it did not set uh, – women taking a step backwards. So that part of it um, was, was definitely on my mind. I don't know the history of it if I was so much focused on that because there's so many other things that I was focused on in terms of the game and, like I said, learning the rules at an accelerated pace. So I think I probably was more aware of it as people were reaching out to me um, knowing that, of course, it was history in the making, but that really wasn't my focus. What were your thoughts when the NFL Referees Association tried to prevent you from working NFL games by bringing up your involvement in the World Series of Poker? You know, I didn't actually, it, it actually came out um, the morning, I think it was the morning of my first game. And when I got the call from, uh, somebody from the NFL office letting me know that that was out there. Um, I wasn't aware of it because I actually wasn't even watching the news and things like that because, you know, there was a lot of things being said and, you know, a lot of, there was some negativity and things like that. So I really wasn't watching any of that. So when I heard about it, um, I was told, don't worry about it. I was forthcoming from the very beginning before I was ever hired. I let um, NFL security that interviewed me, I let them know that I had played and, I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong, but I wanted them to know that I had played in the World Series of Poker and that I you know, played poker on occasion in case they felt it was something that was um, you know, a red flag for them. They were very supportive saying that it wasn't, that it, you know, it was fine. So when I was told that, I think it was just another way of, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going through the minds of the association other than, um, you know, just not probably being supportive of what we were doing. And so any, uh, any way to kind of give us a little black eye, so to speak. Um, but I wasn't really, I wasn't focused on it. Um, and I was definitely supported. So, and was told not to worry about it. So I, it was something I'd already done, nothing I could control. And I didn't think I had done anything wrong. So I was not too concerned about it. Mm. Did you see them target any other officials that were working during the strike? Um, probably if I paid more attention to the news, I would guess yes. But because I really didn't um, pay attention to that, I can't answer that question fully. But mm. I would imagine, yes, um, that they're – well, one thing I do know is that – because things I read, of course um, – when there was some articles about me and things like that, that people showed me 
there was some, I don't want to, uh, targeting such a strong word, but there was some things brought, brought up about the lack of uh, level of officiating that some of the officials that were working had that they weren't qualified. So that was, I guess, one way that um, they were kind of striking out a little bit. And in and, and a lot of cases, um, they were correct. There, was, there were officials that weren't quite ready, but they had to find officials from somewhere if people at a higher level weren't willing to work because they were afraid to lose their jobs, then in some certain situations, they did have to drop down to some lower college levels to find some officials. Mm. So, but again, I could, I can only control myself and, you know, what I was doing and try not to focus on the negative parts of, uh, on those negative parts. Cause there was a lot of positive things that were going on at the same time for myself and other officials you're enjoying this interview, make sure you visit the FLA website at www.football-learning-academy.com. There you'll find more archival interviews such as Don Shula, Mercury Morris, Ken Riley, and Maxie Bond. We also have a variety of other interviews such as Amy Trask, the first female CEO of an NFL franchise. We have broadcasting and sports writing legend Leslie Visser teaching a mini masterclass on interviewing. Nolan Harrison, a former player and current senior director at the NFL Players Association. Shannon Easton, the first female on-field official in NFL history, and many more. To get access to these interviews, classes on the history of the game, a blog, and much more, go to www.football-learning-academy.com. Did the players or coaches treat you any differently because you're a woman? The players and the coaches were amazing to me. I cannot express enough how much support that I, I received. Every time I stepped on the field, I had players coming up to me and saying things like, you know, my daughter, you know, talking about their daughter and how proud they were that I was out there and that it just was such a great thing um, to represent women this way. And the coaches, made me feel so appreciated, uh, made sure to tell me after every game what a great job I did. I remember after my first preseason game, I was getting ready to walk, run off the field. Actually, no, it was before the game ended that Mike McCarthy came up to me and um, made sure before I was getting ready to run, run off the field to let me know what a great job I did. And that was the same thing for most of the coaches. They, you know, they're there to do a job and male or female, as long as they saw that I could do the job, that's all, that, they have too many other things going on to focus on the fact that I'm a female. But the support that I felt, I just blew me away. It, I'm so thankful and grateful. Uh, every time I think about it, it's just amazing. And I mean, I, I think I tell the story in my book, but even the, the, the owner of the New Orleans Saints sent me um, an article that they found of me they sent me an article and it said, welcome to the league. Um, good luck, Shannon, and uh, signed it. And that was amazing. And then a year later, when I wasn't even in the NFL anymore, they found uh, a year, you know, a year this year in sports and one year to the date that was, I guess I was mentioned in some article and they found that, found that article and they signed it and sent me that again. So I just, the support was just unbel an unbelievable blessing. And the lockout ended and the full-time officials returned to the field. 
you weren't one of them. Did you feel that you had earned a spot on the full-time officiating roster? Yeah, honestly, I did. Um, I, I wasn't promised anything, but I was told that I was one of the few that they had, um, uh, I don't want to say selected, one of the few that they were intending to try to get through the interview process and bring back. I was told before the lockout ended, don't worry, I'm going to work a lot of games in this league. And so I felt like I was on track for that. Unfortunately, the person that hired me ended up, Carl Johnson ended up going back onto the field as a full-time official. So that support was for me was gone. And a couple other pieces of the puzzle, Ray Anderson, I saw him working the clock for a Cardinals game and I saw him in the press box and he said, we can't get you back on the field fast enough. And so, so supportive. Well, Ray Anderson ended up going to ASU. So one by one, the pieces of the puzzle kind of, you know, began to fall apart for me and the new supervisor officials that took over for Carl and Anderson and some other people, well, um, weren't as supportive uh, because they were, that one individual in particular was an official that was locked out at the time. So at that point, I felt like my chances were pretty much done and um, that this, my support was no longer there. So yeah, I was hopeful for sure. I was definitely hopeful. But for whatever reason, um, God had a different plan. So let's um, let's talk about another trailblazer. Tell me about Terry Valenti and her accomplishments as a trailblazer in the NFL. Uh, Terry, I believe um, I haven't kept up with Terry lately, but I believe she was um, the first to work replay in the NFL. Um, correct, Ken? That is correct. Yes, um, Terry and I actually uh, knew each other at, when she was officiating. We did uh, some camps together, actually were clinicians at a camp uh, uh, one time and loved Terry, just a great, great person. So I had heard that a while back. I'm not sure what her status is to today. She could still be doing it. I honestly don't know. I should know that, but I don't. But um, I'm just, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of her and I'm so happy for her that she got that opportunity because um, couldn't have happened to a greater person. She's so, just a awesome individual and was somebody that worked hard to get where um, she got. So super happy for her. Yeah, I think she retired in 2021, if I remember correctly. Okay. All right. Talk to me about your involvement in Women Officiating Now. So Women Officiating Now was a movement that um, the NFL had come up with several years ago. And uh, Vanessa Streeter was the one, one of the ones that helped head that. And it was a great thing for women. Had a lot of uh, just gatherings to pull us together, trying to help us to succeed. We put on a couple camps. Um, it was just a, a great movement that Vanessa just saw something that she felt it was important for women. And even down to the kind of the, the I don't know, I don't want to say the funniest thing, but even taking into account things like our uniforms and how they didn't fit correctly. And, um, you know, the uniforms were made for men, they weren't made for women and, and things like that. I re even remember the, the first uh, NFL camp I went to that she was, 
uh, helpful in getting me a pair of shorts that actually fit me. She, <laughs> so, I mean, instead of this, some Nike shorts that all the other guys got that were, didn't fit me right, she ordered a pair and had the NFL shield um, sewn on for me. She ordered me a pair of lady shorts and just, she's just very in tune to um, just women and just trying to do what she could to raise awareness and to just move this. It's like a movement to get us going in the right direction. And as you know, now there's a couple of women in the NFL. Now, Vanessa's not around anymore with that, um, with the women officiating now, but um, there, you know, as you know, there's a couple of full-time females in the NFL and um, there's lots, oh, more than I can count in college football as well. So Vanessa was very, and Terrell was another gentleman that was helping her, were very instrumental and seeing that, what well, I guess we could call it kind of a movement of women officiating. It was just awesome and instrumental. So it was great to be a part of it. Do you have any contact with uh, the women that are working in the NFL right now? Um, actually, I do not. Um, I'm, I know both of them, but no, we, um, no, I, I, I don't have any contact at this time. You currently work with the Canyon Athletic Association. Tell me about what you do there. So the Canyon Athletic Association, I am the director of officials. My main responsibility is to assign officials in all sports. So everything from baseball, softball, to football, volleyball, soccer. So across the board, I assign it all. Um, that's my number one job is to do that. And then helping to get our commissioners in place for each sport to set up trainings, and um, and mentor officials. So the job has gotten is is pretty big. So I don't do as much. I love helping young officials, getting out there and seeing them, and evaluating them. But with how big the Canyon Athletic Association has gotten, it's hard sometimes for me to get out there and see as many games as I'd like to, um, being that I'm answering phones and uh, handling turnbacks and making sure everybody's in place daily. So it was a great, um, great job. It's um, it's very challenging at times for sure, but very blessed. Are you still doing any officiating yourself in any sport? Uh, I am not. Um, I have recently been, um, had somebody reach out to me asking if I'd be interested um, in coming, stepping back on the field. And I'm, I'm d debating. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not as young as I was, <laughs> obviously in 2012. Um, if I feel like I can represent myself, women, the league, and everybody um, at, at still a high level, I will consider it. I just haven't made that decision yet if it's the right uh, move for me. You had mentioned uh, mentoring. What qualities do you look for in an official? Probably one that is really key would be somebody that is coachable. Um, anybody that, uh, well, you know, you can see kind of a, a movement in the NFL that they like them young and they like them athletic, which obviously that is that that doesn't hurt because that's just all about the presence they can carry on the field when they look athletic. But somebody that is really open to listening and coachable um, is what I look for. Not that I know it all, um, not that any of our mentors know it all, but we are at least a half step 
ahead of the, the guys coming in and we just want to make sure that they're open to listening and having the right attitude and being professional is, is key, making sure they understand that being on time is not showing up on time, it's showing up early, things like that, dressing professional and, uh, and, and you know, anybody that wants to work hard, we can take, we can take anybody that, not, they're not going to, not everybody's going to be a great official, and, but we can take somebody that wants to work hard and learn and we can get them to the highest level that is possible for them and for some people. It might be junior high sports and that's okay. So, um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. What would you tell people who want to get into officiating? How should they start? Um, so depending on what area they're in, I would just Google their local area to see if there's one association, two associations, and just start reaching out. Uh, I have people reaching out to me all the time. And sometimes the Canyon Athletic Association is is uh, the, the right place for them, hopefully. And then if they want more games, there's other oh. other uh, associations they can work for in Arizona as well. Don't ever discourage anybody from working as many games as possible because the more games they work, uh, the more experience they're gonna get, the better they're gonna be for all associations involved. So reach out to your local so uh, um, association. And if you're in Arizona, by all means, uh, reach out to me and I'll try to get you plugged in to the best of my ability. Now, with everything that's happened, if the NFL were to approach you about a job, any type of job, would you even consider it? Um, it's a hard question, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Can't I make mean, it too easy. <laughs> you know, of course, I would, I would, um, I would have to consider it. It would really just depend on what it is. Um, it would really just depend. But yeah, I, I would definitely consider it. Um, okay. Yeah. What would you tell women and young girls about your experiences and how you would mentor them regarding following their dreams? I would say just be prepared to work hard. Um, there's so many opportunities now for women. There's a lot more opportunities now than there was when I was coming up. So if you are prepared to work hard, you will get an opportunity. Surround yourself with good people, people that want to help you succeed. And there's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing you can't do um, in the world of officiating. I believe that very strongly for women now. So if there's anything I can do to help, by all means, reach out. I'd be, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help. But um, yeah, surround yourself with good people and work hard and be coachable, be teachable. Dive into the rule book. Not that the rule book is the most important thing, but you got to know the rules and be prepared to work harder than anybody. Be, be your, you know, your worst critic and um, just learn from every mistake you made. I always tell young officials, um, you're going to make mistakes. I'm like, next time, make a different mistake so you can learn from that one because it's going to happen. It's going to happen at every level. So um, I don't think there was ever a game that I, I made it through that I didn't make a mistake. But uh, hopefully I learned and, and grew from every mistake I made. Now, kind of piggybacking off of the stuff you just mentioned, talk to me about the people that mentored you and the impact that they had on you as you were progressing throughout your officiating career. 
Yeah, I was, I was so blessed with the, the number of mentors I had from starting at the Pop Warner level to um, later on some of the mentors that I had that were working in the NFL early on. I just, I was really blessed because I would say that probably some women, even in Arizona, um, I know there was one that I didn't feel she was supported in the same way that I was, but um, early on, I was, I just had great people just willing to help me and take a chance on me. And um, all the way up to, um, you know, local people here, um, Larry Kindred was one and um, there were several others, but, and then even as I progressed, trying to go to the college ranks. Um, I had people like Red Cashin um, trying to help me and Jerry Markbright and maybe maybe mentor is not exactly the right word in, in those cases, but boy, were they in my corner and Red, I felt would have done anything to help me. I mean, I had several NFL officials that flew to Arizona and watched me work um, when they came in for NFL game, they'd come in a day early and watch me work a high school game. So man, was I, was I just completely blessed with the number of people that supported me? Um, like I said, there's, you're going to find people that aren't going to, but there's going to be enough people that are going to be in your corner and try to help you. So find, find a good mentor. Definitely. It's, it's something you need. You need good mentors in your corner and um, they can kind of help show you the ropes and, help you to be prepared and give you some tools to see you go as far as you want to go. Now, one thing that uh, you had mentioned in your book, um, you started donating stuffed bears to kids at the Phoenix Children's Hospital. What was the inspiration behind that? Yeah, so that's probably my favorite chapter of the whole book, honestly, not because of us donating bears, but Inspiration behind it was uh, a referee friend of mine that I worked junior college and high school football with, a guy by the name of uh, Terry Yosick. And Terry um, was working youth football for me one Saturday, and I was out um, doing my thing of going out and watching officials and going from field to field. And I saw Terry, and Terry just wasn't himself. And I said, I asked him what was going on, and he told me about his grandson, Aiden, who had already been diagnosed with cancer, and the cancer was back. And um, Aiden was getting close to his fourth birthday and he said, you know, we're probably going to have to have his birthday a little early because we're not sure if he's going to make it to his fourth, fourth birthday. And so, of course, I asked Terry if he wanted to go home and he said, no, this is a great distraction and he wanted to be there. And so Aiden had spent all too much time at Phoenix Children's Hospital for the four years, that, almost four years that he was alive. And so when Aiden passed away, um, I just felt that, and, and the way Terry talked about Aiden, Terry talked about this young boy, about how positive he was. He said that he was sick most of his life, but the kid smiled and never complained. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, you know, how many things as adults do we complain about? And here you have this kid who's spending most of his life in hospital, you know, battling cancer, but never complained and smiled through it all. And so uh, just felt as a group of officials that we are a large enough group that we should be able to do something to just make an impact on people's lives, on kids' lives. And so I just 
thought about how I, as a young child, how I felt when I held a stuffed animal when I was sick or whatever. I loved stuffed animals as a kid anyways, but just how comforting at times they were. And so I sent an email to all the officials and asked if they'd consider donating game, a game feedback um, to help purchase bears to send to my, uh, predominantly Phoenix Children's Hospital, but the bears have gone. They've actually gone even outside of the United States. Um, and the generous group of officials that work for me, I think the first time we did the fundraiser, we raised almost $10,000 in either one or two weekends. And so some guys donated a game, some donated their entire game fees for the day. They said, just keep it all. And um, that's how that the teddy bear fundraiser um, started. And the we try to make them personal to us um, in terms of showing the kids where they're coming from. And so the bears say, Arizona sports officials, a family who cares. And the Phoenix Children's Hospital, one of the things they do with those bears is they um, use them in the surgery center to give to patients and use the bear's little arm to say, um, you know, this is what we're going to do to you and show them on the little bear, the dog. We've done dogs as well, teddy bears and dogs. But um, And so it's just um, something we've tried to keep going. We've done it several times. I think we've raised close to $50,000 um, to send teddy bears to a lot, like I said, to Phoenix Children's, but other areas as well. So near and dear to my heart for sure. Hopefully it's something that we can continue. Um, but yeah, it's a, I really hope if, if you, anybody that uh, picks up the book, if they're not a big reader, if nothing else, read the chapter called um, Life Changers because it talks about Aiden and it talks about just um, that, that experience, so. Shannon, I want to thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time and I wish you all of the success in the world with your book. Ken, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate everything you've done for me and for your support and for trying to get word out about my book. It means, truly means the world to me. So thank you. For our Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we're going to talk about Terry Valenti. Shannon and I briefly discussed her during our interview, so I thought I'd dive deeper into her historic accomplishments. Terry was the NFL's first female instant replay official when she took the job in 2017. She had the job for four years prior to retiring in 2021. Prior to that, she was a replay assistant for the San Francisco 49ers. She was also the first female to officiate a professional football game when she took the field in 2009 with the now-defunct United Football League. She was also honored with the Official of the Year Award in 2015 for her work in the Arena Football League in 2015. 2019, she was a replay official for the now-defunct Alliance of American Football. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned to our social media channels to stay up to date on our episodes. You can find the links in the main page of this podcast. If you like what you hear, consider pressing the donate button to help the FLA continue to provide quality content and to help retired players in need. Thank you for listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. To learn more about the FLA, go to our website, www.football-learning-academy.com.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.